I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy cause he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. If you're looking for a match, look no further. Today's guest, Aliza Ben Shalom, is the host of Jewish Matchmaking, and she has a network of thousands to get you matched. Aliza, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Hi there. Well, welcome, Aliza Ben Shalom, to the Better Call Daddy Show. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I've been the whole series in like a day and a half. Good job. <laughs> That's exactly what we need. Everybody must binge all eight episodes. That's how we get to a season two. <laughs> Amazing. I noticed in the trailer that you were wearing Mika fashion. Talk to me about the choice for that. I am. So I met Miriam, who who owns the company, years ago through a beloved rabbi of ours, Rabbi Michael Stern of Blessed Memory. And he said, oh, you're going to love her. She's fabulous. You need to meet her. And she does, she has this meaningful clothing brand. I'm like, who has meaningful clothing brands? Like, what's the connection? And he's like, no, no, you're going to love her. You're going to love her. And we met, we became very good friends. We became very close. And I said, you're right. I love your clothing. I love the message behind it. This kind of broken pieces put back together to make it even more whole and beautiful beautiful than it was to begin with. And I started to buy her stuff like that I wore in real life. And I have a fairly nice collection of hers over the years because I love it. And it just became one of the brand, like, I'm not really a brand follower, but it became kind of the brand that I started following. And then I said to her, listen, I need more stuff. What else do you have coming up? And she, she told me, I said, good, I'm doing something big. I can't tell you what it is, but I, I need some new things because some of the things I wear on Shabbos, it gets stained. I need it to look good. She said, no problem, no problem. And I kept filling in my collection. And then later on, I was like, okay, you have to watch episode one. Your dress is on there. Wait till you see. It's amazing. And and then a skirt and, you know, a couple of the outfits were actually on the show. I've had them for my speaking engagements. They're, they're colorful. They're bright. They're comfortable. Oh, so comfortable to wear. And they have meaning. It's not, I'm a person with, who's like a meaning seeker. And so 
something that's just beautiful for the sake of beauty, but without the heart and soul behind it, it's nice. I, I will agree that it's lovely. But when it has something behind it where you can connect to a brand through a story, now now we're talking about something. I love that. Have you always been a seeker? Yes. Yes. Always been a meaning and truth seeker and somebody who's really invested in, in connect. So I, I guess I'm invested in connections. So I'll give you another example. Jewelry. Growing up, I was really like a tomboy. I wasn't a girly girl. I definitely was not into jewelry. And my mother was more of the girly girl and anything that was the larger, the bigger, the chunkier, the more colorful, the more she loved it. And about seven years ago, she passed away and we went through all the stuff. And of course she had all this jewelry and I was like, oh gosh, okay. Okay, so we we can't like get rid of all of this stuff. And so I started to sort through it. And in her memory, I said, you know what? I will use things and wear things because for me, it would remind me of her and it would be a positive memory and I would feel happy and I would feel good. And then we had a few, you know, there was costume jewelry and then real jewelry. And there were some things that weren't exactly my style, but I'm, I'm creative and a designer also in my mind. So I took it to a jeweler and I said, all right, take this piece and stick it with that piece. Like for example, this necklace, the top part is a horseshoe and that was from a bracelet that was my mom's and the bottom part is from a pin and that was my grandma's and I stuck it together and this was like the necklace that I wore on the main interview so you get to see it a lot everybody knows me by the necklace it's a one-of-a-kind piece I made it I designed it and I only not that I only like the jewelry it has a story it has meaning behind it and to me when there's meaning and connection okay so now it's worthwhile to wear jewelry other than that I was like so who cares what's the big deal it doesn't like I could go without it it's more convenient not to have it but now now I in my mom's memory now I got into it she would have been so proud of me that I finally owned up to enjoying jewelry that's really sweet I love that I actually did notice that piece it is one of those like unique pieces that you can't find anywhere else yeah. no it, it also reminds me a little bit of like what people would imagine to be an angelic shape or an angelic form so there's just, I don't know, there's something there in it that the angles, it just speaks to me. It just, it very much feels like my own. I feel like I can tie that into the show too, because the episode where two of the guests connected over the meaning in over their the necklace. Over the neck. I know. I was like, oh my gosh, you guys have a necklace story too. <laughs> it was so bizarre. Did you really connect to that? Were you feeling that about your mom's when they, necklace? Yeah when, they, yeah. when they said that, I was like, oh yeah. every Like it's not just a necklace. It has a story. I, I totally related to it. And I wasn't there on that date. So I didn't know that until I actually saw the film. Interesting. Yeah. So can you talk to me at all about how the reality show came about? Absolutely. Indian matchmaking came out out and the world fell in love and the production company said to Netflix hey this worked let's follow the brand how about we do Jewish matchmaking and they said great find us a Jewish matchmaker so they went on a casting call to find a Jewish matchmaker they did dozens of interviews around the world I know a lot of my matchmaking colleagues later on were like oh I interviewed for that too oh we looked into that also yeah I didn't find out until after and they did interview after interview and they kept calling back and I and I said to the lady who was doing the casting interview I said it's a good sign you're calling back right it's not like oh you didn't like the take and so we have to redo it it's like you liked it and like we're leveling up and she was like yeah I was like okay good because I don't know how these things work yet I'm just trying to figure it out and they just kept calling back and then we made Aliyah in March of 2021 two weeks after we made Aliyah they called to say you know we picked you we're sending you a contract and we can't wait to get started and then just under a year later we started filming so cool had you ever had 
like any media training or anything like that? Not media training. I did a production called Soon By You, which is a YouTube dating series, kind of like Friends, but for the modern Orthodox crowd. You know, like there's sponsorship. So like I paid to be written into the storyline so I could be a part of it for a business promotion. And they literally wrote me in as Aliza Ben Shalom. So when you, they're like, oh, who are you playing? I was like, no, no, I am myself. Everybody else is actors, but I'm just playing me. And so when they gave me lines, because I don't really do lines, I just do reality. I said, wait, it has to sound like me. And so they let me, you know, work through it with them and make it sound like something that was genuinely me. And when I, I, I'm not, I mean, I, again, I've never really like studied for lines. So I, I had my daughter, you know, throw lines with me and she's like, no, do say it like this. I said, okay, no, 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 Ima, do like that. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and we went back and forth and back and forth. So I show up the day to do the filming. We run through the whole thing, my whole set. And at the end, the producers looked at each other and they're like, uh, do we, should we do a second take? I mean, that was good. I don't, I don't, they're like, do another one just in case the film didn't work. And literally my daughter did the best training for me and I was totally prepped, but I don't, I, I'm not a theater person. I think the most amount of lines I ever had in a play in school was like four because they never gave me a major role. The only other training I had was self-training through doing videos and webinars and matchmaker trainings and, and speed dating on Zoom. Because of COVID, another matchmaker friend and I were doing regular videos week after week after week. And so I just got comfortable looking at myself in the camera. I could see what was happening with my facial expressions, my hands. It was like looking in a mirror for 90 minutes, once or twice a week. It was actually probably some of the best training that I ever did. It was just learning from myself what was working and, and what wasn't. Interesting. I will say doing a podcast with my dad, I'm able to really be myself around him. And I've also involved my children in that. Like if there's a guest that I'm interviewing and, you know, me and my daughter binged Indian matchmaking together. And so she loved some of those characters. And I was like, hey, is there anything you want to ask one of them? So I've had, I've had my daughter ask guest questions and your kids really do help you be yourself. They do. So my youngest, Avraham, we are calling him... Avraham Hashad Khan Hachikatan Ba'olam. Avraham, the you know, youngest, smallest matchmaker in the world. And he came with me to a matchmaking conference that we had in Jerusalem in April. And he did interviews with other matchmakers. Hi, how long have you been a matchmaker? And where are you from? And can you give any any advice for a nine-year-old matchmaker in training? It was the most adorable thing. And he says, Can I go with you on your work trips now, Ima? I'm, a, I'm the youngest matchmaker, so you have to bring me. He's like, I'm getting out of school. I'm coming with you. You have to bring me. <laughs> oh, what a sweet so kid. I love so that. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering if you had to match make yourself, could you yeah. have done that? Well, I did match make myself. I got my husband. <laughs> How do you think I picked him? I, I didn't really have a lot of support. There weren't, I mean, we had a rabbi that was involved. That was his rabbi and best friend. And he was the one that was really guiding us. We kind of met on our own at a retreat and we came back to the community and then we had a little bit of support and guidance. But in terms of picking, I was constantly asking people, you know, what's, what is, what's a good match and what kind of questions should I ask and what things need to be in alignment and what things are long-term and what things are short-term and what should I make sure not to miss and, and what should I make sure to give up and, and move on from. And, and I was constantly gathering information and data. And for me, I put things together. So 
I can see the big picture and then I have all the little mini boxes of information and then I kind of like chunk it down and categorize it and organize it so that I can make sense of it all so that I could make a really good decision. And then I practiced doing it with all my friends and family. I was always setting people up and then I started to do it professionally. Really? Who was the first match? Okay, so there's like, I mean, if we go back to like when I was 10 years old, I had my brother go to the dance with my girlfriend at camp. You know, that was the first time I was really conscious of making a match. If we go back to college, I we were out, you know, at a restaurant bar hanging out with friends and one of my friends walked in with a new friend group and then I saw there was something happening and I kind of pulled myself back so that they could talk and they got married. And then in terms of more professionally, when we got married, we had you know, my best friend come over and my husband's best friend come over. And I was like, oh, this is good. We should keep having them for Shabbos. They'll figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> so we sometimes have these organic matches that meet at our Shabbos table or we tell them, go give them a walk home. It's okay. She, can you take her home? It's yeah, it's good. It's just around the corner, close to you. You know, go for a walk <laughs> and we send them on their way. So I've been dabbling in it for years. And then I turned to doing this more professionally in 2007. It's been over 16 years. Wow, that's a long time. How many didn't work? Oh, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> of course, matches. Yeah, like 90% don't work. And then you have to find somebody else. 95% don't work. A very few, like a very small percentage actually works. Recently, we had a client that we were working with doing coaching and matchmaking. And we were we had like a contract period of working with her for four months. And I said, listen, I just want to tell you what's going to happen. In general, it goes like this. We will be a failure every time we set you up unless we find your husband. She's like, what? I said, yeah, you're basically not going to like us. And you're going to think we're really terrible at our job unless you, we bring you the one. La, yay. And then you're going to be happy. But other than that, it's going to be nice. It could be close. It could be good. But it's just not going to be your person. So it's not going to feel good because the only thing that people consider a success is finding your person. So she said, okay. I said, no, no, I'm preparing you. So she went out with one guy once, twice, nothing there. She went out with another one. Also, it was like one and done or two and done. And she's like, Aliza, like really like we're doing a matchmaking service. Don't, don't I get better than I would get on my own? I said, well, of course you're going to get different matches and we're definitely going to pre-qualify them for you. But if you're thinking that you're going to get 10 amazing matches and of those 10, you get to choose the one that's the one for you it doesn't work that way. God makes it really obvious. There is a true blessing in a no. Everybody's basically going to be a no. And when you meet the person, it's going to be amazing. And thank God, before her contract period was up, we introduced her to somebody and they hit it off. And after one date and two dates and three dates, and I'm still checking in and she's like, Aliza, you could stop searching. And I was like, oh, she goes, we're not there yet, but he's my person for now. I'm not going anywhere. Thank you. We're really great. We'll call you for coaching. We're done with the matchmaking. And they're still dating and they're very serious and it's a really great match. But we're only a hero if we do that. If we would get to the end of a contract period and not do that, we would have made introductions. We would have made good introductions, but we wouldn't have solved the problem, which in itself is a problem. <laughs> That's why they come to you. They come to you for the answers. And I, somebody said, can you guarantee that I will get married? I said, sure. Can you guarantee that we can do an arranged marriage? I can get you married, no problem. You just have to say yes. My problem isn't getting you married. My problem is you and the other person both saying yes. You want an arranged marriage? Poop, you got it. Three months, we're done. You want to choose your person? I don't know when you're going to say yes. It's really up to you. I'll just put good people in front of you. 
How did you come up with the expiration date? Like if they go on too many, are you like, okay, you're going to get some fatigue here. Let's revisit if this doesn't work in this amount of time. <laughs> Absolutely. Somewhere around six months. If somebody is like, wow, I just, I still don't know. I really don't know. I said, I have to be honest. I really don't buy that. You've been going out with them for six months. Clearly you don't dislike them a lot because you would have dumped them by now if you didn't like them. Clearly you don't like them enough to really be all in because you're totally, totally in flux. But how often have you gone out with somebody seriously for six months and you keep going out and there's actually still something there? And they're like, yeah, well, but I mean, I was really just giving it a chance. I was like, right, you were giving it a chance. And this is what's called working when you don't break up and it does keep going. And there is this potential something that's there. And they're like, yeah, well, I, I thought it was going to be different than this. Aha, yes. Of course you thought it would be different than this. We all have this vision of what it's going to be like. But the reality is it's not always as we expect. And we have to adjust our vision to our reality. And relationships change. So what are some of the things that people really should be asking? Okay. Relationships change, but personality doesn't change so much. So when we're talking about things that people are asking, we definitely want to get to know personality and we do want to make sure that there's a connection and a click there because that only shifts very slowly over time. There's not a tremendous amount of growth. But if we're talking about values or beliefs, we want our values to be in alignment, but values and beliefs change when we have new information. So just for example, I grew up Jew-ish. I loved my Judaism, but I wasn't practicing it regularly. And when I learned new information, I integrated it into my life. And now I'm doing something different than I've always done. That's not a personality shift. That's a value shift. And it went really from one direction completely to another. So we could completely be on board with something today, but then not tomorrow. So we want our values to be aligned for today. We want to have similar enough values because the hope is that as we grow and change, we will continue to grow and change in a similar manner and stay connected enough. Some of the things for me that are a red flag or a challenge is when we have polar opposites and, and spiky relationships with, yay, I love you. Oh my gosh, this is so horrible. You're wonderful. We broke up. We're wonderful. We broke up. Those things scare me and I don't like them so much. Yeah, that makes sense. I am curious. Did you ever want to go back the other direction? Like once you became religious, did you ever doubt that? Because I feel like I mean, I became religious mid-20s and yeah. we've gone one way and we're gung-ho for 10 years and then a school didn't work out for us and then we went back mm -hmm. the other way and now we're kind of finding our, you know, balance again. So the short answer is no, I've never turned back. For me, I've always said, thank God I became religious. Thank God. there, There's so much going on in the world and that has really grounded me in who I am how I live my life, how I raise my family, the type of community that I have. And it has stabilized me and our family in a really beautiful way. Within our Judaism, have we had times where we lean more to the right or more into the left or have a more modern or a more stark position on things? Absolutely. And also our children play an effect on that. For example, we moved to Pardes Chana in Israel and everybody wants to know why Pardes Chana? What is it? Where is it? And why would you pick it? And one of the main reasons that I chose it is that it is a very open, non-judgmental community. People 
don't care who you are, but they want to know who you are. They're not judging for what you, for what you choose to do and how you choose to observe, or even if you don't choose to observe, they just want to connect with you. And those things actually don't matter. And to me, that was something that was so beautiful. And I knew no matter what direction we go, because there's seven of us, and I do not expect us to all be identical. I wanted to be in a community where seven people would feel accepted and understood and a-okay. And if you want to be more to the right, sure, no problem. And if you want to be more to the left, sure, no problem. And if you want to be more observant or less observant, you can be who you need to be. And there's a community to support you so you can learn and live and love and grow. Because I know that twisting arms doesn't work. And I know that holding people back from being their best selves also doesn't work. I chose this life. I want my family. I want my children in their own way to have a choice in their life. And they get to make the decision about who they want to be when they grow up. I love that you picked that community. And I'll say one thing that I really loved about the show was the diversity of Jews that you showcased. I yes. think that that was amazing. I am curious, do <laughs> non-Jews reach out to you as well? Yes, absolutely. And the one thing I tell them is in terms of coaching and mentoring, I could help anybody as long as they're speaking English, mostly <laughs> a little bit of Hebrew, un poquito español, but mostly Hebrew, English, but mostly English. I can help you. But in terms of matchmaking, my network is in the Jewish community. I don't have a network that is not in the Jewish community, but I do have a network of matchmakers. So I can absolutely make a, a matchmaker referral, but if they want coaching, they want support, you know, get your head on straight, make better decisions. 100% I can help anybody. I also would love you to speak just a little bit about the matchmaking community because I know it is a thing. Like you have to know other matchmakers to make matches. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So there is an extremely strong matchmaking community in the Jewish world and believe it or not, in the entire world. On Facebook, we have private matchmaking groups where all of the love professionals and love connectors, you know, collide. And we also have individual breakoff, you know, branches of like, the Jewish matchmaking group that's also online. I also have my religious communities with the, the Jewish and Orthodox Jewish matchmakers. We have, of course, in New York, an extremely large hub, LA, a very large hub, Jerusalem, a very large hub. And then there's pockets of people. We have very strongly in Canada, South Africa, and pockets of places, Australia, Europe, and South America. So for me, I have a matchmaker database of over a thousand professional matchmakers and another thousand kind of, I call them dabblers or we're, the new title is fiddlers, you know, like fiddler on the roof, like fiddling around, just like eh, a little bit on the side matchmaking. So have a network of over 2000 people that love matchmaking and are deeply connected to it and are doing something about it somewhere between fiddling and professional full-time. Wait, I'm going to add, we had our first international Jewish matchmaking conference in Jerusalem, and we are planning to take that conference and go around the world. And the goal is to train over 100 matchmakers in every city we go to, everywhere from basic to advanced, and make their own mini community in that place because they're not all interconnected yet, but we are going to help people to get interconnected. I love that. I'm totally interested in that. Actually, I did one episode where someone had reached out to me and he did an anonymous episode. He was a real life 40 year old virgin, Kohane, mm -hmm. and he wanted to tell his story and see if anybody who listened would be interested. And I got him five potentials, but he was very yeah. picky. <laughs> it's hard. Everybody's very picky. That's not unusual. <laughs> it's hard to matchmake. What would you say makes a good matchmaker? Patience, 
You have to have a good ear. You have to listen and understand people. And for me, a really good matchmaker, at first you buy into what they want. They tell you what they want and you believe them. You don't shake your finger and go, no, 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 that's not what's good for you. You don't know what's good for you. You listen and you fully take them in. And then you try to produce what they're looking for within a range of what works. And if it doesn't work, you say, okay, can I give you a few suggestions? I've actually been thinking about something. Can we tweak this and try something different? But my preference is that we try their way first because most people have not had anybody cater to them and they don't believe anybody even cares. So we don't actually know if they're going to find exactly what they're looking for or something close to it. We're not God. So the first thing I do is I trust their instincts and I trust their direction. And if it doesn't work out, then I ask them to try and trust mine. And then we build our rapport and our relationship that way. I love that. Do you think you could have match made your parents? Oh, nobody ever asked that question. So... My parents are more opposites than than similar, but over the years, because they were married for over 40 years before my mom passed, they grew to be deeply, deeply connected. Like they, you could see that they were in some ways very, very like-minded. They were both entrepreneurs. They were both deeply passionate about what they were doing. They were both hyper-focused on building a beautiful family and they both loved their Judaism and all of those things grounded them But then in terms of personality, you know, my dad's a morning person. My mom's a night person. My dad's an early person. My mom was a late person. You know, they, they, my mom was friendly and bubbly and outgoing. And my dad was less, less that way. And it just made for some of the technical challenges of a relationship, you know, things like trying to arrive a place on time. You know, my dad would have to tell my mom two hours before we needed to be there. And, you know, when my parents said they were coming at two, I told my husband, they'll be here at four. Don't worry. They're coming. Tell your parents at at 4.30 because they come early. My parents come late by, you know, if we tell them that time frame will be okay. How much do families play into relationships? Okay, that's a difficult question to answer. On one hand, the answer is completely and fully. For many people, they are completely involved and deeply love and are connected to their families. There's people that are in the middle, but then there's also a strong part of the population who wants nothing to do with their family. Their family is toxic. Their family is not good for them. And it's actually smart for them to not be engaged or involved with them. On one hand, it could have everything to do with it. On the other hand, it still has everything to do with it because whether you have or don't have a relationship, it has an impact on your relationship, but they just might not follow through and and try to build an ongoing relationship. And for some people, that's the right decision. Did your parents influence who you married? And do you feel like they impacted who you are as a parent? They definitely impacted who I am as a parent. In terms of who I married, I am a pretty strong-willed human. Some might even call me stubborn. If you're related to me, that might be a word that you use to describe me. I was extremely clear and confident that this was my person. And first of all, we dated for a very short period of time. We dated for three weeks and we got married four months later. And I came from a secular background and became observant in a very short period of time. So the whole process was was shocking. First, it was like, wait, you're Orthodox. And then it was like, is he making you Orthodox? Is that why you're getting married? Is that why you have to do it so quickly? And then when we had all of the aha moments, my mom said to me, listen, this is flaky. You know, this whole getting engaged really fast, getting married really fast. This this is really flaky. This is not you to do this, but I trust you and I know that you're real. So I'm going to trust that this is real. But if you were a flaky human, I'd never pay for a wedding. I'd never let you get married. And thank God, 20 years later, five kids later, an international move to Israel. 
We are still together, happily together, healthfully together, and have built a beautiful life. And a Netflix series that everyone should check out. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you have a question for my dad? For your dad? No, I'm going to tell your dad because I'm all about blessings. Aliza Bracha is my full name. He needs, besides, you know, like a good Friday night bracha, he needs to give you a blessing that you should continue to be successful, continue to build a beautiful family and a healthy family, and that you should achieve your purpose in this world. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I really just wanted to say that I wanted to support you as another Jewish woman. And thank you for giving me the opportunity because I'm like, you know what? There aren't that many of us that are in the position to do this. And I loved your show and I loved you. You were super likable and a very powerful story. So thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. You've heard from my mom. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. I hope Aliza Ben Shalom's blessing works. Well, she's really trying to tell you in a nice way that it's a blessing to be able to find your better half, or it's a blessing to really be completely fulfilled in life is to be able to have, as we have on the Better Call Daddy show, a legacy to build a family. And uh, she was searching out to find the one. She was always peddling into it when she was younger, trying to figure out what really makes people tick and what makes them happy. I also like how she doesn't really want to be judgmental. She has her ideas and she's learned how to do this professionally, but she's trying to make someone feel comfortable and real in their own shoes and being able to find someone else that will do the same thing where that other person will also want to you to be who you are and, and where you're comfortable being who you are and where you're able to find someone that you're comfortable with who he or she is as well, that you guys can together be a team and be able to create a better life together, that two heads are better than one. Because who you are eventually comes out. That's right. And if you, and if you live on lies or you are playing the part like you're in a play, you can't keep that up forever. Eventually, the real you is going to come out and the person you're dating or the person that you want to be with, that person can't fake it forever either, where they have to show who they really are. You're better off figuring out all the different variables of yourself and the other person so that you can go with the flow as time goes on because things change and there's always challenges all along the way. And unless you guys can have a strong bond and connection and where there's obviously you got to have a little chemistry there also, not just the philosophy of well-being, but also where you feel like it's wonderful to be connected with each other. That, that's also part of, I believe, the human game. But it's also, uh, even if you, if you look at uh, animals that are out there, they show the same loyalty towards their children, whether it's a bear or whether it's a duck. And uh, they also want to be able to, not to oversimplify this, but they want to be able to see their children and, and see that uh, they're taken care of and that they're safe. A lion sometimes won't attack you unless you're attacking her cub. They want to protect what they treasure which is what we all should be treasuring is our family. I thought it was very interesting that if you can't really be yourself and you're around toxic people, even in your own family, sometimes it's still better to outreach and discover an environment where you feel most natural and where you can flourish. She even mentioned that the place that she wanted to live, even in Israel, is that she wanted to live in an environment where you can be yourself 
which is really the theme to her her interview with you, is that you have to be able to be yourself wherever you're at. And if you want to be your politics are a little over on the left or a little on the right or a little bit more religious or a little less religious, that you want to be able to live in a community where there's encouragement and where people support whatever your decision might be and not ostracize you because you're not wearing the right clothes. What do you think of that? I definitely can relate to that. I have moved neighborhoods more than once. (laughs) Well, I think that her blessing is what she really feels is the natural course of business. And that is that you find your happiness by being uh, natural and where you can mature and grow and hopefully be able to share that with, with your spouse and where you can share that with your children so that there is that theme of legacy. There is that theme of a continuum. And the, the funny part is, is that when she had visited a lot of different variables and she matched what she really needs and wants and to have, once she saw it, she went for it and fixed herself up and even was part of maybe having a, more, a little bit more religious life and maybe even changing countries or changing locations. But all of those variables weren't as as important as having a match and being able to have someone to share her life with and to grow with and make a family with. It's a good lesson for my daughter, Rena Joy, who sometimes questions the wonderful building that she's done with her life because the world of hard knocks, there's a lot of variables. It's hard. And it's not always where you can have the same freedom of individuality when you have to take in and consider the thoughts and the variables of so many other people. All right. That's a good wrap up. But I did (laughs) want to ask you about your matchmaking abilities. I know you've uh, tried to matchmake some people. Not so easy. It's not an easy job. But I think another good element that came out of this interview that I didn't really mention uh, now that you bring up that question is that she is giving people an opportunity to meet many people for them to even feel what they're most comfortable with. And if you asked her, if could you match up someone who's not in the Jewish world? Well, she doesn't have the same network where she could maybe do it herself. But because she understands all of the variables, she's able to say, hey, I know other people, whether it's in the Indian community or whether it's in a religious or non-religious of, of another faith. She says, I network with other professional people where we look at the variables, all of the variables and cultures and see what's best fit. And if she can't find exactly what, what you're looking for, because you have to have probabilities, you have to have a network of people to be able to choose from. But she is coordinated with so many other professional people people in this arena that she can actually give a good recommendation of someone that could or someone that you could relate to to help you find what you're looking for. I think that that's very big that you're willing to say that I don't know it all. I don't have full control over other over all the variables and that I'm willing to have other professional people give me ideas and help with the networking. I think that that is also the mark of someone that's truly professional. Okay, that's good. That's also a Friedman trait is that we've got to sometimes just laugh at ourselves and make a little bit of a joke about it because if we take ourselves too seriously, we just want to bang our head against the wall until it turns red and it hurts. <laughs> thanks for listening now i think i'm gonna go call my dad (laughs) 
I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now. 